possibly the best advice I've received as of late is never trust your anus. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and it is March 28th. That's right. And in my show notes, I have the wrong date. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I do have a great show for you this week. We're going to start out with The Devil's Advocate. I have two letters that I received, one of them just this morning, and I thought, ah, why not throw it in there too? Pray for me, and are Satan and Lucifer the same? In the Infernal Informant, only one article this week. Advocates disappointed because Biden sidestepped gun legislation given this history and we're going to close it out with a nice novel of uh, a fantasy novel that i love just because i'm revisiting some uh older games and uh novels that i haven't looked at since fucking years you know 20 years almost or more and this is one of them so we're going to talk about it at the tail end before we start i was thinking um that this, uh, it's a little bit strange. Let me frame it like this. It's a little bit strange. You know, we had the Me Too movement, which is arguably still going on, which I personally feel is very important. But out of that spun this cancel culture movement where um, people would look into your past, find any type of messaging or jokes that you shared that in modern today's sensibilities are perceived as negative and they try to use it to either get you to lose your job, lose your social standing, get you kicked off social networking and pretty much ruin your life. And of course they're looking back and it's still going on today. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a, a pretty big deal. Traditionally what you're finding is the average normal person who moves in progresses with society are the ones getting burned the most and it's always because they're looking back at less progressive jokes or comments that they made in the past um and i was thinking how strange it is that they're, they're doing this for progressives you know people who nowadays are trying their best to be inclusive and accepting of societal norms as they've evolved, why aren't they doing it? And maybe I'm not noticing it. Why aren't they doing it to conservatives as well, right? So the other side of that coin is there's a progressive right now that back in the day told a racist joke, so we must cancel this progressive. But if you have a hardcore conservative who used to have progressive values, do they then give them a pass? <laughs> They're like, oh, well, you know, before he came a, a conservative talk show host, he was actually really open and welcoming to different ethnicities and different genders and different sexualities. So we're just going to forget. You know, for, for the other side, it ruins their life if they have any sort of controversial conservative views in their past. But for the modern conservative who had progressive views in their past, there's no, there's no mentioning of it. Why not? What kind of shitty stick are you uh, measuring reality on here? What kind of yardstick are you using to cancel people? I just figure if you're going to do it for progressives, you should do it for conservatives too. And instead of trying to get these conservatives who are saying hateful and, and bigoted shit fired, maybe look into their past and see if they had progressive ideas before and say, you know what? Clearly they're doing this for the paycheck. We're going to let them continue making their money. <laughs> this spreading their vile hate just because they used to <laughs> it's the same irrational logic that is being applied to the liberal side of the spectrum if you know if we applied it to the conservative side it would be ridiculous why would you ever do that and yet you're already doing it to other people who are on your side purportedly just not on your side enough 
They're not on your side in the right way from the beginning. Fucking liberals, man. <laughs> Ridiculous. How's it going, guys? It's going to be a good day today. Jason, what's up? Thanks for joining live. William, how you doing, man? Uh, Mike, what's up? Uh, let's see who else we got here. Lexi, good to see you in the chat room. Thank you for joining. Jason, how you doing? Um, well, let's see, dog. It's always great to see you. Okay. Anyone else who jumps in after the fact? Hi. Thanks for joining. <laughs> um, you know what? These are some good letters, so let's get into the uh, devil's advocate, and we'll have some fun. Let me throw up this image and we will dive into today. I this first nine cents letter. I didn't get any permission slips <laughs> for, for saying people's names. So I'm not going to. But it starts out like this. Dear Reverend Campbell, could you please pray for me to recover from a massive stroke I had two years ago? I would like to walk again and use my left arm again. Thank you and blessings to you, brother. So... um. Cameron, what's up? <laughs> I will say this. Uh, I get more correspondence like this straight than um, than I would have ever expected to get. Meaning, this is not a joke. This is a legitimate request. I get called brother a lot. I get called, uh, uh, I get um, infernal brother. I get that a lot. Brother and Satan, I get from time to time. And asking me to pray and stuff uh, for them. If this was 1960s and 70s, I would understand the confusion between a priest or a reverend and praying um, and stuff like that, right? Because one seems to go along with the other, especially like brother, there's this whole community thing with... Um, Christianity or, you know, Islamo, Islamic Judeo-Christianity. It's very much a communal experience in the, their religiosity. And so if you're coming from that mindset, you're sort of bringing that baggage with you. And so usually I just sort of look over and I don't think twice about it. But uh, it's not 1960 or 70. And this religion has been out there long enough that anyone should understand that simply because you are a priest or reverend in the organization of the Church of Satan, it does not mean you go around blessing people, right? Uh, that's just not what, there's no sermons, there's no weekly meetings, church meetings. I mean, <laughs> I see some of you joking that that's what this is, but um, no. <laughs> this is just me talking about news and topics and, you know, whatever. It's not, it's not like a Sunday school lesson or anything. It's just on a Sunday because it's the easiest day. It's like the weekend, the end of the weekend, I'm chilling. And so I have a couple, you know, an hour or so. It's really, that's all it is. I'm not framing this as like a satanic church event, right? And so don't come at me <laughs> with, uh, with your religious um, vernacular because it's not satanic. And it misunderstands the entire premise of Satanism in and of itself. That being said, let's, let's put a pin in that. And let's just address the reality here. This individual had a massive stroke. That fucking sucks. And I am sorry for you. Um, I can sympathize, I think, with that situation. Uh, I cannot empathize. And that reality is rough. Reality sucks. But I think the best, the best thing you can do is learn to live within your new body, within the new makeup of your life, rather than trying to find miracles to change the reality of your life right now, right? And it would be the same if you had to get an amputation. Uh, it would be the same if you, you know, suddenly fell into... Uh, 
you know, mad depression or something. You just need to find a way to accept the condition of your body. If you, if there is possibilities of changing your situation, sure, you know, look into them, explore them. But don't ever, just don't ever expect a prayer, no matter who it's from, to like change reality. That's not how it works. Prayer does nothing. Prayer gives up your semblance of power and puts it in someone else's hands. And I think it's even more watered down and worthless when someone else prays for you. You don't know that person who's doing the praying. You don't know if they actually really care. You're just hoping that they're going to have some sort of mystical ability to benefit you uh, based on their station within their organization or religion. That's not how it works. That's not how it's ever worked. Praying gets you nothing. It's always gotten everyone nothing. Now, there are some medical psychological studies about the benefits of prayer for people in coping with situations that they're in, but they do not change the situations that you're in, right? Emotions and your state of mind can help free up your body to focus its recovery in places where it's needed rather than in your own sense of anxiety and, and uh, unsettled consciousness. But the truth is, is you're, unfortunately, you had a massive stroke and now you have to suffer the consequences of that massive stroke. It may not be your fault in any way. It may have been led to through diet and lifestyle. Um, and so you really need to take an inventory. See how much of this is just the chaos of the moment. How much of this is your fault, if any. And learn to live with the result of your current life. And that's as good as it gets. And it sucks, but it's the truth. That being said, there are things as a Satanist that I would explore. Now, prayer is not one of them because, again, that's putting power out into the ether, into some other entity's eyes, according to you, because you're praying to that entity. Um, especially because the entity doesn't exist. And so prayer is literally you just sort of spitting in the wind or pissing in the wind. Um, there is a little bit of help that satanic ritual, if you're a Satanist, can be of assistance with. It's not going to make your stroke magically disappear. That's not how ritual works. But it will help you live within your new skin. Find the patience necessary to process what's going on in your life right now. And again, it sucks, but that's literally the only thing you can do at this point um, from someone who doesn't understand the medical profession. <laughs> so before you go looking for religious solutions, explore every medical one. Um, and then if you're a Satanist, try get in the decompression chamber, have some psychodrama, work through your hangups so that you can focus the life that you have on the goals that you're going to set in the new confines of your life. Um, dealing with the reality of not being able to physically do or be what I was after becoming chronically ill was a huge identity crisis for you for a couple years at least. Yeah, Jason, I mean, and the truth is, is there's nothing you can do in most cases. You know, it's really just about perception and it's not easy, but you can get to a point where you accept and you just work positively in the new confines of your life, you know? That's just, that's the reality of this. Uh, so Satanists do not pray. We, unless you want to pray to yourself, because that's, you're your own God. Um, we ritualize, and again, it's psychodrama. It's meant to unburden your mind from things that cannot, um, you cannot get over. There are versions of ritual where it collects and directs adrenal energies. And each Satanist has to come to terms with themselves on what that means. Because there's not a, this overarching required acceptance of satanic magic in the religion. It's really on a case-by-case, individual-by-individual basis. Uh, though, 
to be fair, Herr Doctor was a magician, and so take it with a grain of salt. Um, but I, I also wanted to explore this idea of other people that you don't know praying for you, and whether or not you as an audience member um, think that that is something that could actually work. I mean, we do have a compassion ritual specifically for this case. Now, a lot of the times that compassion is going to be redirected back on you to help you get over whatever you need to. But do you think conducting a compassion ritual for a loved one or a complete stranger between those two, does one work and the other doesn't? And why? Why would a compassion ritual for someone that you know you have a, con a personal connection with be any more powerful than for a complete stranger. And I think the difference, in my opinion, is going to be the fact that the individual is probably more receptive to any energies that you're putting, directing to in their, you know, directing toward them. Uh, and even in this particular case, this gentleman who's asking me for my uh, prayer, if I conducted a compassion ritual, would I care enough about this person to generate the required adrenal energies in order to actually help in any meaningful way. As someone who doesn't really care about other human beings in the least, I'm really indifferent to humanity. Um, why would I suddenly decide to care about you? What is it about you that thinks that I should spend my time and energy to benefit you rather than me? Because on the face of it, it's a very anti-satanic concept. I'm not out to just heal people. I'm not interested in, in benefiting those whom I have no connection with and whom I have no understanding of. And no desire to understand or accept either. So what do you think? If you can do anything for yourself... Prayer is just going to take the time you should be devoting to research. you got to be your own advocate for chronic conditions. Yeah, you really do. Um, I think it's a fair question. Uh, okay, so Zach says, I think the idea of directing prayer is being re better represented as talismanic blessing. The goal is to give someone a reminder that you're there with them. In reality, we're always alone in our perception. I can understand the psychological benefit for the recipient of that concept. Um, but there is no satanic community. No matter how many people gather and how many social networks. It's all fake and it's all isolated and it's not real. There is no satanic community where we hold hands and chant together unless it's an isolated ritual. <laughs> Uh, and even then, you're not really holding hands, at least I never have. Um, and feeling this sense of kumbaya. You know, one mind, one purpose, one satanic community. That doesn't exist. That's not a thing. That's all made up bullshit. That's what people who don't like Christianity but love the structure of religion want Satanism to be. But that's not what it is. And so there's no way that I could genuinely give you a, like an honest, earned ritual. I just don't know you, you know, and it's not, it's not to be rude or anything like that. It's just the reality of the situation. In my mind, when it comes to ritual, the only way it's going to be of any benefit in my mind is if I care about the person that I'm conducting the compassion ritual for, or I believe that they're receptive to what I'm going to give them. Because it is very much a giving situation. This is a gift that I am providing for someone else. It is not a service. I'm not making money off of it. It is something that I'm doing because I care. And in that same token, if you did pay me, I don't think it would do you any good either because I still would only care that I got money, not, not about you, which would be the purpose of the ritual. I have to have some sort of genuine compassion and this is something that we don't really ever talk about when it comes to ritual. And that's that you're not just performing a lust ritual or a compassion ritual or a destruction ritual. You are going in there to unburden yourself emotionally. 
So that's going to be crying and tearing up and screaming and clawing and raging. That's going to be literally masturbating furiously with passion and lust in your heart. You have to unleash emotions that are holding you down, holding you back. How can you do that for someone that you don't fucking know, no matter how much money they give you? How would you actually generate those adrenal energies? You could play act, if you're a good actor and cry on cue. You could just, <laughs> puppies are dying, you know, and start crying. But that's not generating actual adrenal energy to direct. That's you faking it. That's you pretending. That's not real. That's not real emotion. And you can only direct actual real emotions. So I would argue that there is literally no way that a satanic ritual could benefit anyone unless the person conducting it actually gives a fuck <laughs> about the situation. Because you have to be in it. You have to be in it. The destruction rituals I've cast in the... Cast. That's a funny... <laughs> conducted. <laughs> the destruction rituals I've conducted, I've genuinely lost my shit in. Just like, raging, you know? Just because I'm genuinely mad. The compassion rituals. I've, I've really genuinely broken down with uh, tears and, and a sense of pride upon completion. And like, I, I go through... You know, I have a catharsis at the end. Go through some shit when you're in there. That's the purpose. If it's a lust, I've never, I've never actually conducted a lust ritual, so I, I couldn't say. But um, just masturbating, you're in there. You're in it. <laughs> There's no casual masturbating. You're not just like, ah, well, yeah, you know, maybe. I don't care if it happens or not. No, you're just like fucking. Ah. <laughs> you're in it. So, I don't know. What do you guys say? Uh, entering the decompression chamber is all about your personal. Now, hey, Ash, uh, your personal self or energy, it's only used for yourself, not others. I think that's a valid... I mean, you'd have to have a little bit of conversation about some compassion rituals for others, but if it's for you, only for you, I think that's fine. We have a limited amount of time in our individual lives on this planet. Give time and energy to someone else. You, uh, Yeah, no. Focusing your energy on things that matter to you personally is really the only way to live your life. Uh, hey, Dennis, thanks for joining us live. Um, so that's where I land on this. And, you know, you guys are going to land on wherever you're comfortable. But the truth is, is that there's nothing I can do for you, you know, and, and I, I genuinely wish you the best. And I hope that you can find some comfort in your own new skin. And that sucks. All right, the second one, are Satan and Lucifer the same? Uh, this individual mentioned that, uh, I actually don't have an image for this, so <laughs> I'm just going to leave the prayer hands up. Um, they mentioned that, well, let me just read the damn. Oh, I already put it away. Um, are Satan and Lucifer the same character or symbol? I always thought it was the same character with different name, but Anton LaVey wrote that there were two of the four princes of hell. So who's wrong? Who's wrong about Satan and Lucifer being Satan and Lucifer or just Satan? Who's wrong? You're talking about made up shit. So I would argue that you're wrong. You're, you were taught by an Islamic Judeo-Christian religion that Satan was rebranded from Lucifer, biblically speaking, in Old Testament. That's what you were taught. From whatever religious background you have. Um, that's what's in the cultural zeitgeist. But it's not real. It's all, it's all fiction. It's all made up. So when the doctor. I don't have any insight into his mind. When he was making these decisions. But from the beginning. Satan has always been a metaphor. The four crowned princes of hell are metaphors. They're metaphors for cardinal directions. They're metaphors for um, elemental uh deities or demons or devils that we use in order to lose ourselves in the ritual. So there is no right or wrong answer here. There's people who don't even reference Satan, Lucifer, Belial, or Leviathan at all. They have their own. Some people, you know, it's like a superhero thing. Some people, it's a Star Wars thing. And they like literally pull out like Sith names and those are your cardinal points. Or they're like 
villains, you know? I like that's it it really depends on ritual is all about you. And so when you're referencing a metaphor, then you take ownership of however you want to see it. There is literally no right or wrong. It, it's so strange to to have a weird argument about, well, is, is Satan Lucifer, are they the same thing or are they separate? Well, they're both made up. They're both just manufactured out of a human's brain and put down on a piece of paper. Literally. That's it. So it's whatever you want it to be. And that's the glory, in my opinion, <laughs> the glory of Satanism. It's because we take what we like and we discard what doesn't work, what doesn't we don't like. So Satanism is literally a religion that is tailored to the individual Satanist. So for you, if you genuinely care that Satan and Lucifer are the same person in your own mind, well then just assign Lucifer, to assign East, the cardinal direction, to a different entity. Or, or South for Satan. Just swap it out with someone else that is more meaningful to you. That's really all it comes down to. Um, when it comes to to, to make believe, <laughs> there's no there's no wrong because <laughs> it's make believe. All right, let's see. Um, Samael, Lucifer, Satan, names change with the times. Yeah, and here's the really point of you know referencing the infernal names, for example. These are culturally specific demonic entities. Some of them were humans or they were like magical humans in myth. Some of them were gods. Some of them were devils or demons. It's, but it's all made up. It's all made up. And it's all just to help you get into your headspace. Lock in to that mystical realm. I hate using the word mystical, but I'm just using it in reference to the, the fantasy necessary Get your head into that realm of ritual. Because ritual is not reality. Ritual is not literal experience. Ritual is this, this custom world in your mind that you create and control. So when I am in a satanic ritual, I literally summon the devils from the pit ninth circle of fucking hell and they join me as the brothers that we are in support of what I need done in that ritual chamber. That is my reality in the chamber. And as soon as the ritual is over and I ring that bell nine times and I exit the ritual chamber, all of that fantasy that I created is no longer thought about. It's, no, it's not even in my mind at all because I did what I needed to do. I got out what I needed to get out and I did it with the fantasy required in my mind to do it that is ritual there is no actual entities of anything it's all made up i mean if you want to really break it down the planets were the gods in our solar system they would point out and say oh that's a god right there and we're going to name it venus and we're going to name it uh, uh jupiter and neptune and i mean it's it's all made up everything in life is made up so you have to find what works for you in order to process those really wonderful satanic aesthetic ideas. All right. Um, you've totally been thinking about adapting Sith Lords into your rituals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mike, that'd be cool. Deadpool is most definitely a Prince of Hell. <laughs> yeah, he is, dog. <laughs> he totally is. Uh, basically taking what's recognized as evil or forbidden in society. Uh you are Satan, your penis is Lucifer, and your hand is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's funny. Welcome to the Sixth Circle, Dennis. Um, the idea of angels than demons. Angels feel more like um, Terminators. Did you ever see uh, The Prophecy with uh, Christopher Walken? It's a whole series. It's great. But yeah, in, in, biblically Old Testament speaking... And this is like old school um, Islamic, Judeo-Christian, every Abraham religion, right? Um, they're all the same. They all use the Old Testament. Um, angels did the dirty work for their God. They murdered babies. <laughs> they were fucking monsters. And what did the demons and what did the devils do? 
I tried to help you have a better time while you're here. That's it. That's it. That's all they did. You want to get in some apocrypha and talk about the Nephilim? They actually mated. They gave humanity knowledge and they mated with humans in that mythology. That the uh, the apocrypha is really interesting stuff. The like Noah's testaments are really crazy stuff. But it's all mythology. It's all fun. You know, it's all made up. Talking monkeys. That's right. That is exactly right. That was such a good show. The pro Christopher Walken, in general, is awesome. But as Gabriel, ooh, he is awesome. Danzig even did a cameo in the second one, I think. Went out like a bitch, but still he was in. <laughs> um, something about a godly soldier with three faces coming to chop off you. <laughs> For watching porn, yeah. That's pretty messed up. Uh, okay. So I hope that helps. I, I understand when you first discover Satanism, you start to try to put down rules. Like, okay, Satanists are this. This is how they act. This is how they dress. This is how they think. This is what a Satanist is. You try to like put your arms around the identity of a Satanist. And you quickly realize that there is no such thing. It, it, Satanists are so vastly different and complicated in their own individual ways because we encourage individualism. And that's why you're going to run across Satanists that you despise. You despise how they look, how they act, how they think, how they perceive, how they project the religion. We're, as our high priest, the maestro, beautifully states, we are a meta-tribe. A meta-tribe made up of individual Satanists who have no justification for liking the other unless they want to. They have no obligation to hang out or support unless they want to. Because you are the point of power in your life. You make the decisions. That's uncomfortable for a lot of people. But it's empowering to others. And it certainly is empowering to me. And as soon as you understand that, that you are the empowered one, then you let your hands go and you say, okay, well, there is no definition of a Satanist. There's just the, the um, identification through the Satanic Bible, the, 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 the thought that this book personifies the reality of my lizard brain, my carnal existence on this rock. And, uh, you know, I, I, I see life like this, but everything else, it's on you. So if you want Satan and Lucifer to be the same, then they're the same. If it doesn't matter to you, well, then they're not. Own it. Empower yourself. You're your own God. You make the rule. All right. <laughs> Here's a jar, kid. Go catch those clouds. The universe is just atoms and molecules. Literally everything we know with the name is because a human named it. That's right. <laughs> everything. Someone made up the word sofa. Sofa. What are we going to call this? That's a sofa. Okay. Was anyone like, hey, whoa, 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 that's a little more couch. Not so much sofa. Well, what's the difference between sofa and couch? I don't know. They're both things you sit on. All right. Well, whatever name you want to use. Same with Satan and Lucifer. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, move over to Infernal Informant. throw up the image let's hurt some feelings advocates disappointed by biden's sidestep of gun legislation given his history this is from npr.org when president biden was asked about actions he would take on gun violence prevention and said quote it's a matter of timing and pivoted talking about infrastructure it wasn't what chris brown had been expecting quote i am disappointed i will say at what i heard from him said brown who is president of Brady United against gun violence. 
That disappointment comes in part because of Biden's long history of working alongside gun advocates going back to the 1990s when he helped shepherd through the Brady Bill requiring background checks on most gun purchases as well as a temporary ban on sales of some military-style semi-automatic guns. Just two days before Thursday's press conference, the morning after the King Super's mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado, Biden said he couldn't uh, he didn't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common-sense steps that will save lives in the future and to urge his colleagues in the House and Senate to act. He urged them to bring back an assault weapons ban and limits on high-capacity ammunition magazines. But Biden knows better than almost anyone just how difficult that would be. Biden was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee nearly 30 years ago, the last time Congress passed significant gun control legislation, and it wasn't easy. I'm not even angry anymore, he says. I'm just as frustrated as hell, Biden said in 1994 in the middle of a lengthy fight with the congressman, uh, I'm sorry, congressional Republicans and the National Rifle Association over the crime bill. It was a huge bill he'd been working on for a long time that included hiring more police officers, promoting community policing and crime reduction strategies and drug courts, but also included sentencing changes blamed for a precipitous rise in mass incarceration in the United States. It also had a ban on the variety of semi-automatic guns. In a particularly heated speech, Biden said that this was what was holding up the whole bill. Six years ago, it was guns. Five years ago, it was guns. Four years ago, it was guns. Last night, it was guns, said Biden, nearly shouting. The ban on military-style rifles and other high-capacity weapons was something many Democrats, though certainly not all of them, and gun safety advocates have spent years trying to pass. And then... At the last minute, to get it through, a sunset provision was added. It had not been in any prior draft, I mean. It's a very unusual feature of a law, said Brown, who was a congressional staffer working on the issue at the time. After 10 years, the sunset kicked in and the ban lifted. Ever since, Democrats, including Biden, have been unsuccessfully trying to get it back and make it stronger. Meanwhile, AR-15s and other similar weapons have become very popular, making Biden's new call for a so-called assault weapons ban even more politically challenging. Biden was also involved in passing the Brady Bill, a 1993 law requiring background checks for most gun purchases, which is still in place today. It was named for James Brady, President Reagan's press secretary, who was gravely injured in the assassination attempt on Reagan in 1981. Brady and his wife Sarah threw themselves into getting gun control legislation passed. It took six years and seven votes, actually, and they had the NRA opposing them every step of the way, said Brown. But there are loopholes and exceptions, and buying guns over the internet wasn't even a thing in 1993. A generation and many mass shootings later, the legislation from the 90s still remains, because nothing else has been able to pass since. Democrats lost control of the House of Representatives in 94, and some who uh, lost blamed the backlash to the vote on the semi-automatic weapons ban. The NRA actively campaigned against members of the Congress who had supported the ban. They had only been brief moments when lawmakers prioritized gun control measures, usually after mass shootings, only to see the efforts fizzle as the nation, national attention faded. After the Sandy Hook school massacre in Newtown, Connecticut, then-President Barack Obama, tasked his vice president with finding a way to bolster outdated gun laws. Biden held listening sessions with law enforcement, the gun lobby, and met at length with the families of those 20 children shot down to their elementary school. Quote, there is nothing that has gone to the heart of this matter more than the visual image of little six-year-old kids riddled, not shot with a stray bullet, riddled, riddled with bullet holes, Biden said at one event. This time, he argued, would be different because the crime was so unthinkable. But as the days stretched to weeks, what looked like a bipartisan compromise to expand background checks began falling apart in the Senate. A few days before the vote, Biden saw the writing on the wall. People say, well, what am I going to say to the NRA? Well, I got a question for you. What are you going to say to those parents? Biden asked, emotion in his voice. Look them in the eye and tell them that you concluded there's nothing you can do. The families were in the gallery overlooking the chamber when Biden, in his ceremonial role as president of the Senate, Pet presided over the vote where the legislation failed. It didn't have enough support to overcome a filibuster, though would have passed if it had gotten an up or down vote. 
At his press conference Thursday, Biden said politics is the art of the possible. It is not clear whether his experience of the past decades led him to believe at this moment that the federal gun legislation he said he wanted earlier in the week just isn't possible. But White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki defended his decision to focus next on infrastructure. She said he understands the frustration of the gun safety advocates, and he understands it as one of the few people in government who ever beat the NRA twice by leading the fight to pass the Brady Bill and the assault weapons ban. She pointed to 23 executive actions taken by Obama when the legislation efforts failed and said that there's a review underway now of actions Biden could take. She said in the absence of federal laws, states have taken up their own gun control legislation, including red flag laws meant to keep guns from people who are an imminent danger to themselves or others. But you know, we would say that the frustration should be vented at the members of the House and Senate that voted against the measures that the president supports, Saki said. And we would certainly support their advocacy in that regard. This is unlikely to satisfy advocates whom Biden has worked with for years who want him to make gun safety a priority and take bold action. I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Um, there needs to be more legislation and regulation in firearms, period. Uh, it is literally a wild west in our world right now. The NRA is floundering. Their president is, um, I, I don't think the, the court cases are over, but he was charged with, um, I think it was like embezzling money and, and taking bribes and stuff. Um, the, their membership is at a record low. Even gun advocates don't agree in most cases with the NRA's stance on situations. President Obama, in his time, tried to make it so mentally ill people who, and terrorists on the terrorist watch list, shouldn't be able to buy a gun. And Republicans blocked it. They said, no, even terrorists on the wa terrorist watch list should have the right to bear arms. That's what Republicans think. That's what the NRA thinks. That's insane. Period. So let's, everyone wants to go back to the Second Amendment and they fight over whether a comma needs to be placed here or there and whether they're talking about a well-regulated militia or whether they're talking about individuals in the country on their right to bear arms. We were just talking about made-up shit in the last segment. The Second Amendment, it's made up. It is not a right that you have because you've earned it or you deserve it. It is something that the founders wrote down in the confines of their minds of this new world that they were creating. It's all made up. It's the law of the land until it's not, until regulation is piled on top of it. And so if there's a new ban put in place on specific types of firearms or firearm accessories, and you say, no, I have a right to have those, and you keep them, you are no longer a law-abiding citizen, you're a criminal and you will be put in jail. And you're gonna cry and whine and complain and tear about it, but that's how life works. Laws are created and they are changed and they are amended and they are adapted and they are removed. This is a fluid society we live in. You don't even have carte blanche rights of free speech. Why do you think you have the right to own any firearm you want? You don't have any rights. And most people who complain about that right being taken away have the stance that there should be no rights and that rights are all made up until it comes to their own personal protection and needing those firearms. Come from a place, I own firearms only recently, but I've never been against an individual citizen owning firearms. It should be used for personal defense and it should be used for hunting and that's it. And there are types, there are categories of firearms that are meant for those reasons. And that's the only reason, in my opinion, you should ever have one and you should only have those styles. That's my opinion. I'm not a lawmaker. But everyone who thinks that there should be no legislation, no new legislation, no regulation, no amendments to the Second Amendment in regards to guns, clearly doesn't understand our society. Clearly does not get that there's no such thing as actual inalienable rights, that that was just a fucking fairy tale 
that the founding fathers put out there and then continue to amend and change and adapt the whole time. It drives me crazy when grown adults, just grown ass men, whine and cry and tear and they try to wrap patriotism into and they try to make it all about hugging a flag and personal protection and, and I will stand, you don't tread on me. What the fuck are you doing? It's just a tool. Why are you putting so much into the idea of a tool? You say it's a tool when you argue that no, guns don't kill people, people kill people. So if it's just a fucking tool, find a different tool. Have you ever tried a bow and arrow? A sling? It's wild, people. It is insane, some of these gun nuts. They just go off the deep end. And it's coming, whether you like it or not. And it's not going to be the change that you think it is. Gun nuts are literally thinking that the government is going to try to take every single one of their firearms. And so what are they doing? They're buying as many firearms as they can so they can become criminals and fight the government in this manufactured fantasy in their heads. So if you are acting right now in order to prepare to be a criminal that's acting against the state, why are you in this country? How do you actually love this country? But that's never going to happen. Biden doesn't want to take guns away. He never has. Those are lies that you tell yourself or you listen to other people tell. You're believing bullshit. You're living in fear and anxiety for no reason. Grow up. Take a deep breath. You're going to be okay. You can still keep 99.9% .9 of every firearm you own. And every firearm accessory you own. Some of them may go on a list. And that's it. And you're still going to live the next day. And you're still going to be able to protect yourself and your possessions the next day. The world is not going to end. What we need to do is have annual training exercises because firearms are much more dangerous than a fucking car and it should be more challenging to get firearms than it is to get a license. Annual training exercises to teach you how to be a proper gun owner and how to properly utilize your firearms. You have to be licensed just to buy them, in my opinion. And then, if you want to have concealed permits, you should have to go to courses past tests to prove that you understand the gravity of what you are doing, the responsibility. And the process should be taxed. In some places like New York and California, it's kind of insane, but there should be taxes on it. You're going to tax uh, uh, tobacco products in you know ridiculous ways because they can harm you and secondhand smoke can harm others. Well, firearms have been proven to hurt others, other than the owner, in every mass shooting, um, in every in-home accident. So why don't we have extra taxes on them? And it can go to incident prevention and, and education for firearms. It doesn't change much when you think about it. The people who actually want firearms will still have them, legally. You'll still be able to protect what you want to protect or hunt or do whatever you want. I don't know. Sit there and stare at it and jerk off. Like whatever you want to do with your firearm. It's cool. It just makes it really, really, really hard for the crazy fucking people to get a hold of them. And that, in the broad sense, reduces incidents of accidents and murders. Seems logical to me. I don't know. Everyone should train with firearms. Hell yes, Brad. Hell yes. Um, Flamethrowers <laughs> are the answer. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the truth is, is I, I don't even, I actually really love the um, AR-15s. I, I really do. And if I had one, I would want to keep it. And if I had to pay extra taxes in order to keep it or to, you know, register it with a police, local police station, I'm fine with that. Because it's a, it's a good firearm. It, it's fun. It's genuinely fun. But what I wouldn't do was become a criminal against the state if they decided to ban them. Because 
there's this assumption of privilege buried deep in that that I just don't have. I'm a realist. I live in a society that gives and takes away privileges literally on a daily basis, it seems. And if you're going to live in that society, well, then you just have to go with the flow or get the fuck out. That's it. And there are states that are more restrictive than others. You just find one regionally that works with you and just be there. Utah is very open with their firearm laws. Very open. And it works for me. And in general, it's a pretty safe place. We've had a couple incidents in the past, but it's nothing crazy. And we're okay. So, don't fix what's working, but fix what's not working. And terrorists should not have the right to own a firearm. I'm sorry. You shouldn't. I don't care. And militias, most militias, by the FBI's definition, are terrorist walks groups or hate groups. They should not have the right to bear arms. You're part of a fucking militia against the government. You should not have firearms legally. That's insane. All right. That's how I see it. Do you disagree? Because you're right. Let's do this last one. Preach feature. right Zachary and there's ways to get removed from it if you really think you're not all right let's do up this last one ah this is just a bunch of nerdy fun here so if you don't want to stay tuned for this I understand um I was in middle school when I was introduced to this book so I had always liked like I grew up watching cartoons like you know fantasy cartoons um and so my mind is primed for fantasy anyway uh, Star Wars is just fantasy in space. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's world is probably one of the greatest fantasies that's widely under, uh, known and, and uh, celebrated throughout all of human history. Uh, well, no, arguably the, the greatest fantasy is going to be any Abrahamic religion because that's some crazy fantasy with mythology and world building and like the whole thing. But other fantasies that other writers have made, um, like Tolkien, um, like Star Wars, like um, George R. R. Martin's uh, Game of Thrones, The Song of Ice and Fire. Great, great fantasy books that are deep and the depth of character and drama is really just, it's exciting. And it's, it's really, really um, challenging uh, as, as a reader or as a viewer to try to process, you know, characters you latch on to die or they make decisions that don't seem in line with, you know, the character that you've grown to, to understand. And that's kind of fun. You get invested in these little fantasy worlds. Um, I'm sorry, I got like a really weird itchy nose. Um, I discovered uh, Dragon's Bottom Twilight novel, which opened up a similar fantasy world that is really, really massive now. But even at the time it came out in 84, um, it, it was a New York Times bestseller, and TSR, who helped pay for the writers, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, to write, didn't believe in the book. So they only did a small press run. And then it just, the community of fantasy lovers really were behind this movement and forced them to write the second and third books of the Chronicles trilogy, which is this first group of books, and then expand the entire world of what would be known as Dragonlance. Um, it created a whole mythology that nowadays rivals, legislatively at least, um, well, legally with lawsuits, the size of J.R.R. Tolkien's. It's not as well known everywhere, but it's as big money-wise. There's just this huge, massive lawsuit between Wizards of the Coast, who are the current IP holders for Dragonlance, and the authors, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, who had, um, were hired by Wizards of the Coast to write new books in the same timeline, um, and uh, they wrote the first two, and they had drafts for the third, and then suddenly Wizards of the Coast dropped the whole process. So the authors sued, and now they dropped their lawsuit because Wizards of the Coast decided that this year they're going to allow them to release the books and continue on, which for fans of 
this series and this sort of world that they created, this fantasy world, it's exciting because it's, it's great. Um, it's not as deep and difficult as Tolkien or um, um, George R. R. Martin, but it's about as challenging as Star Wars fantasy-wise. You know, it's, it's good versus bad. You have your boundaries drawn and the whole world is about, you know, basically doing what's good for the world and following the gods and stuff. But so it's set up like this. Um, it's by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. It was released in 1984 by Random House uh, through TSR as the licensing agreement. Uh, it's based on a series of Dungeons and Dragons game modules detailing the meeting of the companions, the group of heroes, and the early days of what's called the War of the Lands. Uh, and it's the first part of a trilogy of books uh, following up uh, with Dragons of Winter Night and Dragons of Spring Dawning. Uh, it corresponds again with two video, like not video game, but role-playing game modules, which are basically like adventures uh, that people go on. Um, it takes place in the fantasy world of Kryn. Um, what's interesting about this world is that you're, you're introduced with this first book into this world where there is this massive natural disaster, right? Like a meteor basically fell down and crashed into the continent and reshaped the continent. So we as humans, we have mythologies about the realities of meteors and asteroids doing the exact same thing to our planet. So you start in a very familiar place mythologically. Um, the gods had seemed to abandon mankind. There used to be this pantheon of deities that actually involved themselves in some ways with the individual denizens of the world. Um, and so it was you know, very destructive to the world when they just abandoned them. And so this new group has come out to try to take the place of the old gods called the Seekers, um, this sort of this new religious movement, who don't actually tap into any mythological or mystic abilities or anything, but they're just sort of using this vacuum of religious orders in order to take control politically of this continent. So it's as deep or as shallow as you want this world to be, which is what I really appreciate. Because when you read a fantasy book in middle school, like I did the first time, it's very surface, good and bad. These are the heroes, they're good, they're going after the villains, they're bad, and in the end they win. But as you get older, you can dive into the socio-political issues that are going on in this fantasy world in a very George R. R. Martin way. It's not on the surface, but it's there if you want to dig into it. And so that's why I really appreciate this, because this fantasy novel, which seems so accessible and easy at first um, read, can actually get really deep and complicated the older you get and the more you want that deep and complicated storyline to be. You start understanding character motivations a little bit more because you've lived your life and had to make compromises and choices that maybe you're not so proud of, or maybe you are. And then you see that reflected in other characters and other events. It's really kind of cool. So anyway, it, it's, um, it's just a fantasy novel. It's a good one. It's one of, one of the best, in my opinion. And um, I think it's worth your time if you like them, if you like fantasy books. So, though, the thing is, is like I got into Clive Barker because of fantasy. He's written some amazing fantasy collections. Uh, but his horror is what kept me around, <laughs> to be fair. Um, with these guys, fantasy is just, it's a nice outlet for escaping reality for a couple hours as you're reading. And I think we all need to escape reality from time to time. I mean, right? <laughs> I'm not the only one. All right. So anyway, check it out. Dragons of Autumn Twilight by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. <laughs> and that's it for this episode. Thank you guys so much. Um, all right, Salvatore. I haven't read those, um, but I've heard a lot about them. And fans, uh, friends of mine who like the same books as I do, they've been recommending that for a very long time. I think what people do t typically is if they if they find a storyline is attached to Dungeons and Dragons, the role-playing game, they don't want to be considered a nerd or geeky, and so they don't read them. They just ignore them, or they move on to something that they feel like is, you know, more socially acceptable. I think people are a little too concerned with labels, and certainly ridiculous labels from our childhood. Stories are what makes us human. Us sitting around a fire talking about myths and manufacturing story. The story of Gilgamesh is one of the oldest written tales in his, uh, human history. Um, and it talks about the flood. Like, this is what we do as humans. 
we create fictional reasons for real events or we create fictional worlds in order to explore the complexities of what we experience as humans. It's a way for us to accept and understand reality through eyes that are foreign enough that we don't feel like we're examining ourselves or our realities. And it's very, very interesting when you start to take that type of a view on a style of books. So whether it's fiction, nonfiction, drama, true crime, whatever it is, read. Because it's what makes you a human being. Part of it, anyway. Part of it that I love. So, Solange Javar, uh, if you want to support this channel, subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can always uh, sign up to the email list and uh, get notified whenever I'm going to put out another episode or whatever it's going to be about. Or if you just want to hang out on a random Saturday, listen to blues music while I smoke a cigar and bullshit, well, you're going to have to click that little bell on the channel to be notified when I'm live. And if you don't, well, then fuck off. I don't care. <laughs> That's it for this week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in live. Thank you, chat. I really appreciate it. Until next week. Hail Satan.